Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church. Life, faith, together. This is, um, I don't know if Mike or anyone else calls it this. I refer to these as a Britney mic, um, used by Britney Spears in the 90s a lot. There's a very, uh, that references an age well, I don't think. Uh, it's, a, it's a real joy to be with you. This is my first time back, actually. Uh, since since lockdown, and so I'm seeing a lot of people, uh, a lot of friends from before lockdown, um, people I haven't yet met, and a lot of people I've met digitally, but not yet in person. So it's a real joy to be with you. Um, I'm going to read a couple of texts, if that's all right, and then I'm going to pray, and we'll we'll jump in. Uh, the first text is a parable of Jesus's. It's the um, what about the field? It's only one verse. It's a pretty easy parable to read. Matthew 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and he sold all he had and bought that field. The second passage is actually Psalm 16. Uh, it's the whole psalm, verses 1 to 11. The psalmist writes, Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Let's pray. Lord, on a morning such as this, we feel so much a part of your family, connected with those we are so close with and so joyful at being able to see one another in person again. And at the same time, we also, I'm sure in the background somewhere, feel the pressures that we are confronted with every day as life threatens to consume and absorb uh, what is most important and at the center of it, namely you. So Lord, in this time, in this little slot of time we have now, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Is this, is this working okay? The, the audio, is it all right? Yeah? I have no idea what's happening out there in terms of the sound, so just let me know. 
From July to August, my parents actually came from America and stayed with us um, for about three weeks. And it was a really uh, emotional meeting together. It was a really touching time to have together with them. Over the course of that three weeks, um, my dad got news that his older brother, Joel, who has a degenerative condition similar to ALS, but took, takes taken about a decade rather than a couple of years, um, got news that, that Joel was being moved out of his kind of life support assisted living context into hospice care and the plugs were being effectively pulled out. Joel lasted two days and he died uh, while my parents were here. Uh, on the back end of that trip, when my parents went back to America, they got news that my dad's other older sibling, Carol, his sister, was being moved from an assisted living ward into hospice care and given a very short um, length of time. So um, with Joel's funeral happening two days ago, and uh, my aunt Carol uh, having a fairly tight window of time left, I, I spoke to her the other day and was sure to tell her I, I loved her. And it was very odd thinking these are the last words I'll ever say to her. And she's been such an important person in my life. Um, I've been thinking a little bit about this kind of thing, funerals and dying, and, and actually it's strange. I don't know why, but something has actually come to mind and I can't shake it, right? I can't shake it. And this was someone I knew who actually um, died uh, some years ago in 2007. And in May of 2007, I attended the funeral of this person. I was living in Cameroon, the Northwest province of Cameroon, uh, doing mission work at the time. And this was a funeral for a girl named Njumsi Grace. The funeral was held in the bush village of Jert uh, at Jert Baptist Church. Baptist? Wait. Now, Grace was a student of mine at this seminary, this training college. She was a student. She was a dear friend. Uh, it was just about a mile or so from where she was born and raised, where the village she was from was located. Uh, she was a gem. And Jumsi Grace was an absolute gem. And uh, she had given years of her life before, during her training, and, and even a bit after, uh, to the treatment and help of those living with HIV and AIDS in Cameroon and Nigeria. Now, I once asked her about this kind of work that she did um, around HIV and AIDS in Cameroon and Nigeria. And she actually cited a verse to me. I wasn't asking for a Bible verse, but she gave me one, a verse from Acts chapter 20. She said, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Jumsi Grace died from a number of complicated infections related to her own previous exposure to HIV, which came as a result of her working in remote and therefore very dangerous conditions. She poured out her life glad, gladly and joyfully in extreme contexts to save and extend and serve the lives of others. Now, she was 24 when she died. It's a little, still a little hard to talk about it. She was um, one year younger than, than I was at the time. And it was really sad and it was a really painful loss when Jumsi died. But she was so young and she was such a, a shimmering example of God's love and grace in, in Jesus. And there's a question I want to ask. Other people have asked this kind of question as well about mission work in, in other contexts. There's a question I want to ask 
about that event and what happened with Jumsi. And the question is this, is that a tragedy? Is that a tragedy? So many more years she could have enjoyed in her community, so many other things she could have done. Was it a tragedy? What would you say? I'm going to come back to Jumsi Grace in a moment. But now let me say this. This is a kind of header, I guess, for the rest of the sermon. Headline text. What the church often regards as treasure is often seen by those outside the church community as a tragedy. What the church often regards as treasure, more times than not, is seen by those outside the church community, not as treasure, treasure, but as tragic, as a tragedy. It's like when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, you know, that long chapter about the resurrection, and he has that line, and he says, if we have no resurrection hope, it turns out it's not real, then we, the church, are the most to be pitied of everyone. The assumption is, of course, if someone uncovers something, like this could never happen, right? But if they did and they said, you know, ta-da, the resurrection never happened, the world would look at the church and say, you fools, you've wasted your life. That, the assumption is our life is kind of directed in a way uh, by the resurrection. Tragedy and treasure. And we know this from within the church. We hear phrases sometimes from outside. What a waste of a career. You had a great progression in front of you decide to become a pastor or vicar or whatever, or you give it all up and move abroad to serve people in foreign contexts. What a waste of a career. What a waste of a retirement. You'd be kicking back somewhere, man. What a waste of a retirement. What a shame their kids won't have the same opportunities. I hear that a lot. What a shame. Tragedy, tragedy, tragedy. Because the difference between a treasure and a tragedy, of course, is just one of perspective. It's just how you look at it. It's absolutely one of perspective. Treasure, what we hold dear, whether old or new, it changes our perspective. What you treasure and value in life, it just changes your perspective. Another way of saying that is maybe to say how we are willing to live, how we are willing to live, what sacrifices we're willing to joyfully make, it is always predetermined in a way by why we are willing to live in the first place. How we live, the decisions we make, sacrifices make, what we give up, what we don't give up, is always predetermined by what we value in the first place. Why we're living. Why we're living. And this is simply because treasures, those things we hold valuable about, above all else in our lives, they're not actually accessories to our life decisions, right? It's not like we're walking through life making decisions left, right, and center, and we say, oh, well, I'll make this and this decision on the periphery. Those decisions are our life. Those are our life decisions. What we decide to value, what we decide to treasure, our life decisions. What we hold dear will guide, it will govern, it will steer every life decision we make. And I might even venture to say this, that what directs and guides those decisions we make about what we prioritize and value is an attempt by us to find happiness and fulfillment in the things we're choosing to treasure, right? Nobody's going to go out and spend a ton of money on a really expensive car saying, I hope it's really uncomfortable. Man, I hope the seats are hard and the seat belt always locks like that thing happens, you know, and it stalls every time I'm at a light and I try to go up the door and never stay shut in the winter. I'm just describing an old car I used to have, really, with all of this. 
But nobody does that. You, you'd splash out because you want it to be comfortable. You want to enjoy it, right? Nobody gets a, um, I should stay on camera, shouldn't I? No, nobody, nobody buys a Netflix subscription to go on there to have that experience. So I don't know what to watch every night. So you scroll through 100 things and think, never mind, it's too late. And you just go to bed. Yeah, that's not the plan, right? We invest in things and buy things. And we want to treasure them because we enjoy them. They give us fulfillment and happiness. I mean, we're driven by this treasure mindset. We all are. Eli, our little boy who's four, is in the pirates at the moment. Man, pirates are a great example, right? Treasures, treasures. They go by sharks on the sticker pages and, you know, islands they crash into to get to the treasure chest, the red X after the dotted line. I do lots of these with Eli. Treasures, it's a treasure mindset. But it's not just pirates, right? Stockpiling assets. Stockpile, sure, fine. Yeah, peace and quiet. I want to seek peace and quiet for happiness. I want to get away from retreat from the company in the presence of others to find happiness, like those hotels where no kids are allowed or something. One more bottle of Chardonnay, that'll make me happy tonight. One more kind of aggressive comment in the workplace, that'll make me feel strong. One more car, one more house, one more book, one more, one more, one more. We're looking for something to fulfill us and make us happy. It's this treasure mindset. Please don't be offended by this, but in that sense, we're all hedonists, right? Not in the kind of licentious way. Licentious is a word we only get to say in church, so it's kind of exciting to say it, right? But we're all hedonists. We're pleasure seekers. We're treasure seekers. Now, when I attempted in Jim C. Grace's funeral in Jerts Baptist Church, the Baptist pastor preached on a text from Hebrews that Jim C. had herself requested. It's from chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews. I'll just read it. You don't need to look it up. But just try to hear the, the logic that happens in these verses. The author writes this, remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. You had a better and lasting possession. Because, for, that's a big word when you see that in the Bible, right? You joyfully, ex- you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew you had a better property somewhere else. And that doesn't mean the Bahamas, right? That's not what it's talking about. For me, it doesn't mean a property that's on a lane that's not unadopted. Maybe. Joyfully, confiscation, plundering, burning your home to the ground. Joyfully accepted this. You accepted this, the author says, because you knew there was a better and a lasting possession. What a tragedy, right? What a tragedy. House is lost, imprisoned. What a shame for the kids. Oh, the stain on their social, you know, reputation. What will people think about them? They've been in prison, ex-convict. What a tragedy. Routinely, publicly insulted, lost face. It's emphatically not a tragedy, and Jim C. Grace's death was emphatically not a tragedy. It's not a tragedy. Because there's a, a summons in the gospel, a radical summons in the gospel. That's that first verse long parable we had about selling everything and buying the field. You might say, what a tragedy! <laughs> Sold everything. There's a radical summons in the gospel to hold dear, to treasure, knowing God. In Christ, as a treasure that releases you to live radically. 
Just a summon in the gospel to hold dear and to really treasure what it is to know God in Christ as something that can free you and release you to live radically, to give without measure, to pour out your life in a way that, way that clings to the hope of a better and lasting possession in God himself. That frees you to tra- travel to the villages of Gom, to the middle of the town of Bamenda, to Wom, to Nkambe. I'm thinking of where else Jumsi may have gone. I can't remember. All over the place. And that's what she's getting at. I don't count my life of any value, quoted from Acts 20. Only that I might be able to extend the love that I've received in God to others. It's the kind of logic of that psalm that we read in Psalm 16, right? It ends with that line, in your presence there's fullness of joy, at your right hand pleasures forevermore. There's the motivation. There's the treasure. There's the perspective that generates that life of sacrificial living and giving. It can embrace imprisonment. It can embrace public uh, ridicule and insult. I got a better position. You know, you can ridicule me. God's championing me. It's okay. I got a better and a lasting possession. Now that's the motivation. You see it all over in scripture and in the history of the church. I mean, there's Acts chapter two and four. They give all they have, pool their possessions, give to the poor, joyfully doing this together. That's not a tragedy. Saint Anthony, let's go to a random saint, right? In the third century who sells everything he has and retreats to the desert and starts a movement which eventually becomes this monastic movement, becomes social care in the Roman empire, on and on and on. That's not a tragedy. The man who sells everything he has and he buys a field, can you imagine? like a paddock. What a tragedy. That's not a tragedy. Like Peter saying to Jesus, Lord, we've given up everything to follow you. Is that a tragedy? That's not a tragedy. Outside the church in context of faith, sure, might look pretty tragic. Now, you may well be thinking like, Charlie, we know it, right? And I understand people in this room have given up a lot to follow Christ. Whether you've walked with the Lord for years and years, whether you're new to the faith, whether you're just kind of on the periphery thinking, what is this about? Or whether you came in the wrong building and not sure what you're doing, but you don't want to walk out because we're all staring at you. Um, I don't think that's anybody. It's not that full. Uh, You may be thinking, we get it. This sounds a little obvious, but there does remain a threat to this kind of thinking, and I'm just going to mention it quickly. There's a single threat to this God in Christ as my highest motivating treasure mindset. And it it does affect every one of us, no matter where you are in life, how long you've been a Christian, um, how you see the world. There's one singular thing that's going to threaten this. And it is a very dangerous word. So I'm just going to say it. The word is duty. In America, they say duty, but that sounds like something else. So I'll say duty like we do in the UK, right? Duty. That's the dangerous word. Duty. Forget this treasure language, right? Forget being motivated by something that brings joy, hope, you know, something treasure-esque. That sounds self-centered. It sounds mercenary as a motivation. Do your duty as a Christian. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and just do it. Get on with the job. Folks, please don't settle for that. Duty is motivating. It's not motivating because nobody treasures the concept of duty. 
wake up in the morning, alarm clock, curtains open, pull up my blind, look across this nice little trostry valley, sun rising, stretch, and I say, good morning, duty. I can't wait to do my duty today. I love doing my duty. Here we go. Nobody says that. It's not a motivator. Duty does not produce radical living. Duty is not a treasure. I'm going to read one little short excerpt from C.S. Lewis. Uh, it's an essay he wrote called The Weight of Glory. Lewis says this, The New Testament has lots to say about self-denial, but not about self-denial as an end in itself. We're told to deny ourselves, take up our crosses in order that we may follow Christ. And nearly every description of what we shall ultimately find if we do so contains an appeal to desire. C.S. Lewis says, indeed, if we consider, he writes, the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. The offer of a lasting possession of knowing God in Christ and growing in this knowledge through whatever time we have here is the singular motivation of the church's mission in this radical living. We're far too easily pleased, Lewis says. We're making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what a holiday at the sea would be like. And when we're far too easily pleased because we cannot imagine, then we don't step out and take these risks like in Jim C. Grace. But if knowing God, God's own gift of God's self, is our treasure, our eternal, lasting, better possession, then of course we can join in Jumsi Grace in saying that we consider our life worth nothing only to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace, whatever the cost. Let's pray. Lord, of all the voices and all the pieces of input we experience every day, of all the stresses we feel, anxieties we might be harboring, um, everything pressing on us from every side, uh, would you, Lord, would you remain at the center of our lives and our hearts and our treasuring? Would you, Lord, be our treasure? Would you be the treasure that's abiding and lasting and that governs and dictates and prioritizes every other treasure in our lives and every priority that we make? Lord, thank you for every person in this room. Uh, thank you for the radical lives of obedience that you've called them to. And thank you for the joy evermore at your right hand that you promise at the end. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information, please visit our website at abergavennybaptist.co.uk